you have a Bible app on your phone, on your iPad, go ahead and get those open, fired up, turned on, and notes out, get something to write on. Go with me to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. If you're not sure where that is, it's about in the middle of the Bible. The 91st Psalm. And, uh, and I want to share with you and teach along these lines today of divine protection. Does anybody want to be protected? Yeah, yeah I think we all value protection in life. Um, we do whatever we can. Uh, you know, if we're going into a situation where we think we might be um, possibly injured, we're going to take, take precautions. You know, there's a reason football players wear pads and helmets and stuff. And uh, there's a reason why we uh, put seat belts on in our cars and, and, uh, and we take other precautions. If we're going to work with something that could potentially, you know, cut our hands, we'll, we'll wear gloves and, and so forth. We, we understand protection. Uh, but how many know that uh, what we do and what we're able to do can only go so far? There's, there are some things, no matter how good of helmet you're wearing, you're in trouble. <laughs> no matter what kind of gloves you have on, you're not going to be safe. There are some car accidents, seatbelt or not, you're, you're out of here, right? Just because they're to a level that we are incapable of fully protecting ourselves from danger, from harm, and so forth. And so we want to talk about divine protection. Uh, how, how, can we, how can we experience the Lord keeping us safe? And thank God He has the power, the knowledge, the wisdom. There is something that He has promised us about staying safe and protected in life. Now, I want to begin this with uh, asking some just real straightforward questions, okay? I don't like to live in theory land. I don't want to make proclamations that, you know, something is and, but it's not really experienced or leaves us with a thousand questions as to why not in other circumstances. I think church ought to be real. I think uh, we ought to be the most genuine people around and no fluff, no hype. You know, I was talking with one of our, well, uh, our, our pastors, Pastor Bill, the other day, and, and he, he said something to me about uh, what he thinks one of the biggest problems with church in general is People say, people go out of church services, people go out of their experience with God in churches and say, it's amazing, it's wonderful. And people in the world come in and go, what are you talking about? And I'm putting this in my own words, but in other words, nothing really happened. No, they didn't really see God move. No one got healed. No one really had, a, had an altered life or experienced God, and yet we're going, it was amazing. Really? I just think we should be real. Oh, that didn't go over real. That, that was Pastor Bill's quote. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but we ought to be real with life and, and what's happening. And when it comes to protection and being safe in life, let's ask real hard questions. Okay? And so let's start with this. Who gets saved? Um, not everybody. Who gets protected? I mean, not everyone's being protected, are they? Uh, who gets delivered? Who gets 
answered when they call on the, on, on the Lord? Who gets honored by him? Who gets to live long? You know, if we were to just say, well, everybody gets that. Well, really? I mean, is that the way it really works? Is everybody protected? Is, is everybody saved from a, a situation? I mean, uh, I'm not proposing here. I'm not talking about the will of God. I'm not talking about what can be. I'm not talking about the possibility. I'm talking about the reality of individuals' experience. Not everyone's getting saved. Not everyone's getting helped. Not everyone's being protected. Not everyone is, is experiencing uh, long life. And, and so I, I certainly don't want to just throw out, well, everybody, everybody gets this. Well, not everybody's getting it. You know, it's the kingdom of God, an all-inclusive kingdom. So everybody's in it. You know, all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> or whatever. Well, no, 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 some don't. Not, every, not everyone is resting in peace, you know. And in this life, not everyone is walking in the protection or experiencing this protection. It's not just an all-inclusive uh, thing. Uh, but at the same time, do I want to say, you know, who gets protected? Is it nobody? Is no one protected? Is everyone just kind of on their own and get, get a good helmet, get some good gloves, uh, you know, get a car with a good safety rating because no one really is being helped by God. No one is being spared. No one is being delivered from a, a rough circumstance. I'm not saying that either because I've been helped. I've been spared. I mean, the fact that all of us here, that we're here, well, that might say something, right? And so here we are. So I'm not going to say no one is being spared from destruction, uh, but then what governs it? Is it random? Is it just complete chance? Flip a coin, draw a straw, you win some, you lose some, you never can tell. It's just a random thing to know whether you'll be helped or saved or protected in life. Uh, is God choosing is he making the choice? Is he saying, uh, car accident for you, um, close call for you? Is he doing that? Is he saying, uh, disease is coming to this, this family, but it's not going to hit this family? This family's going to, you know, win the jackpot, and this one's going to suffer all through. Is he doing that? Is it just God's random, well, random to us, but maybe in his great plan, he's deciding that, I mean, is that scriptural? Is that, is that what we read in his word? And if that's not the case, and I submit to you that that's not the case, then what can I do? What can I do to be saved, to be protected, to be helped? What can I do to be delivered from harm, from evil? How can I be one that is honored by the Lord? He has chosen to honor my life. Huh? And these are some of the things I want to look at. Here we go. Did you find Psalm 91? Psalm 91 reads, verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, now let's just stop there for now and, 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 and look at this. And, and notice that not everyone abides under the shadow of the Almighty. Whether or not I dwell in this 
or I abide under that shadow is contingent upon me dwelling in that secret place. Can we see it's not for everybody? I mean, it's, it's open for everybody, but can you see not everybody automatically gets to uh, abide under this shadow? Now, abiding then is a qualifying word because how many know abiding is different than visiting? Where I, where I visit and where I live are not the same. Yeah? And it's very possible that some people admire the shadow from afar. It's a good-looking shadow over there. I like that shadow. Wouldn't mind attending that shadow sometime, being a part of it. And there are, there are those who, go, they do visit the shadow. They enjoy their time in the shadow. This is nice in here. Oh, wow. Man, I'm just no fear, no concern, no worry. I'm, I feel safe, protected. And then they get right back out of the shadow. And they get right back in the danger zone. Right? Are there those that do that? And so I can see just right from the beginning that part of this, this abiding under this shadow, uh, it's not that everyone's getting it. It's not, not that everyone is, is, is benning, benefiting from it. Uh, th this word in the Hebrew for shadow is also translated defense. And so some people are, are being defended. They're going through this rough and tumble world and going through life, and God is defending them. What do you mean defending them? Against attacks, against problems, against uh, destruction, against calamity, and those, and those things. But again, it doesn't say that God's doing that for everybody. Does he want to? Oh, absolutely. Does he get to? No. He doesn't get to do that for everybody. He doesn't, get to, he doesn't get to be the defense. Have you figured out that in God's kingdom, he is not all that he is for everybody at all times. He must be invited to be that. He must, for example, salvation. I must invite Jesus to be my savior. That's a personal, I, I must invite him. And when I do, I get saved. Yeah. And there are other elements of God's promise, his nature, his character, all that he wants to be in me. But I need to acknowledge him and invite him to be that in my life. And if I don't do that, he doesn't get to be that for me. He doesn't get to be, Jesus doesn't get to be everybody's savior, even though he is the savior. He just doesn't get that opportunity to save everybody because they're a part of the equation. Okay. And so, does the Lord come to everyone's defense? No. Again, uh, look around the world. Well, he's the everyone's defense. Well, it's not working. It's not working for everybody. Not working for everybody all the time. Uh, we might even extend this and say, do all Christians get defended? Well, I know, again, he, he, he wants them to be defended, but it's not an automatic experience for all saved people to avoid calamity. It, if that were automatic, none of us would know anyone. We would, say, we would tell people, hey, receive the Lord, and your problems are over forever, period. 
But how many know we don't tell people that? I mean, we tell people, receive the Lord. Your sins are gone. He's your helper now. He'll guide you. He'll prote-. We tell them all his promises. But, you know, we don't always say this, but we might add this, that you're going to get rid of a whole bunch of stuff and you're going to get a whole bunch of new problems. <laughs> They're called Christian problems. You've got a target on you now. We don't really want to tell people that up front, do we? All right. There's some, there's some reality to that, right? But once we come into a knowledge of His will and His plan and His ways and how the kingdom of God works and His, his help and His power and His anointing, His word, all these things, then we got the target, but we also have a shield. And we also have a family that they have shields and we have swords and we have, have all kinds of equipment to overcome. Yeah? And, and, and so, uh, no, it's not an automatic experience for all people that they are defended by the Lord. Um, so this reminds me about him, him, him telling, if you abide in the secret place. Remember, Jesus uh, taught us in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. You see, there's a qualifier on getting whatever I want in prayer. There is that possibility that all of us can have whatever we want when we pray to God. But what if I don't abide in Him? What if His Word does not abide in me? Then I could conclude I'm not going to get what I want. So let's not mince words or play games or just act like, this is all a mystery. You never know. <laughs> you just can't tell what God does. It's all going to be amazing. No, it's not. No. It's not all going to be amazing. We still live here. Not everything here is amazing. He's amazing. And if I'll abide in Him, if I'll live under that shadow, the defense of the Almighty, I can be spared a whole bunch of junk in life. This is, this is good news. You know, would a soldier out on the battlefield, would they be automatically protected uh, because of the country they're from, because of the army that they're a part of? Could they um, just cross the battle line and go into enemy territory and say, hi, you can't touch me because I'm an American. How many know if they're in a war because that soldier is an American, that's the reason they're going to touch you. That's the reason they're going to uh, try to take you out, yeah? So even though I'm a soldier and I have the protection of my country, the protection of the armies, uh, I still need to stay in the right place. Once I, if I stay in the right place, I get the protection of what that army is able to do. And when it comes to our spiritual life, if we learn to stay in the right place under that defense of the Almighty in that secret place, then we get the protection that that place is designed for. And it, we're talking God here, so there's no holes in the, in, in the line. There's no flaws in the defense. But I've got to stay there. I have the ability to stay or to get out there in a dangerous area. Praise God. All right, go over with me now. Let me show you another verse, a uh, few verses in Luke chapter 13. So that's a right turn, Luke, the 13th chapter. If you look at these with your own eyes, it'll be helpful to you because what I'm saying is not necessarily commonly accepted as truth with many, many Christians. 
They put all of these things into the unknown. You never can tell. There's nothing we can do about it. It's all in God's control. And they live as passive Christians. They live vulnerable to the attacks of, of the enemy and to the subject to the, you know, the problems of this world. And so we've got to get this. This message might, ready, save your life. I'm going to say probably. Okay. Luke chapter 13. So if it doesn't mean anything to you, then just think about other stuff and look at your phone. <laughs> Social media, you know, just do, do other things. <laughs> Everybody okay? All right, Luke chapter 13, uh, verse 1. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, just stop there for a moment and consider what's going on. They told Jesus about this situation. He was probably aware of it. It must have been somewhat recent. But there were, there were Jews that had gone to, we would say, worship. All right, They had gone to bring sacrifices, which was a part of the Old Testament law, sacrifices to the Lord. So they're not out there, you know, serving the devil. We don't know their heart, their relationship with God, but they were doing what appeared to be godly things as they were instructed. And what did Pilate, Pilate do? He had them killed. All right. There was a defiance maybe against Rome that he didn't like. He didn't like him talking. We can speculate as to the reason why he did this. But they're in there and he wipes them all out. This is like some of the, maybe similar to the modern day stories that we're hearing regularly about, you know, groups like ISIS going in and killing everyone in a church. This was a big deal. They were all aware of it. And, and Pilate was, I mean, seriously, what an idiot. I mean... It's very grotesque. He killed them and said, we're going to mix you with your sacrifice. And just, you know, burned them. And, and a very, very bad situation. So it's not a surprise that someone would come to Jesus, who is the master teacher and the son of God and everything else, but to ask him for a reason. What, what about this? What's happening here? And Jesus answered and said to them, he asked them a question. Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than other Galileans because they suffered such things? And so he's bringing a little clarity because typically the way they would think about this was if something really bad happened to a person, they must have done something really wrong. I mean, this is no, no small issue. And the Jews seem to frequently think this way. In, in John 9, you know, Jesus and his disciples came upon a guy who was born blind. You know what the immediate question was? Who sinned here? Did he sin? Meaning in the womb. They really believe that. Or did his parents sin? Something had to, someone had to sin for him, this, this, this guy to be born with blindness. And so that was their mentality that all problems like this were tied to personal behavior. And I wouldn't 100% separate it because we can show you other scriptures that there can be a connection. It's just not absolute for sure. And, and so he, he's, he, he's saying these things. Do you suppose they were worse sinners? And it is often concluded that people have sinned more when bad things happen. And, uh, and, and people today are, are wanting to know why these type of events take place. I think these are good questions, but we should watch out. 
okay? Christians are among those who are often, often first to assign a divine causation to an event of neg- negative events like this happening. We're, we're some of the first to say that God was involved. And often it works like this. If it's someone far away that we don't personally know or a group of people, and maybe we know there's a lot of sin in that area, they do some bad stuff, Christians are quick to say, yeah, it's God's judgment. Yeah, God judged them, and, uh, and that's why that tornado took them out. That's why this happened, that happened. And, uh, but usually when we know people up close, we don't want to say that because we know them. And yeah, they weren't the best person. Maybe they had some problems, but they were really a good person. So we're not saying God judged them. Then people flip over into this kind of explanation that says, well, it's, uh, you know, you just never know why these things, but God has a purpose. God has a plan in this, and maybe we won't understand it until we cross over into eternity. And, and, and so it's usually a softer approach, but it's still given divine, you know, uh, inspiration or divine causation for that happening. Jesus didn't give those answers. Since he didn't, suggestion, don't. <laughs> Do you know what sometimes, just a side note to this, it's okay to say, I don't know, and stop right there and say, I'm sorry for your loss, for your suffering. I, man, I feel really bad that this happened, and I don't have all the answers. Sometimes we don't know why that happened. Stay right there instead of creating a doctrine. Instead of looking like a Christian fool. Did I say that? Ooh. I didn't plan that. In other words, like we're not living in the real world. Trying to put everything in. Basically, we make God look like a bad guy. And he's not. I know him. Like personally. (laughs) So do you. And he loves us. And it's not his will for these things to take place. All right, let's get back to this. Jesus said in verse 3, I tell you, no. In other words, were they worse than everybody else? Some horrendous sin that they committed? No, that's not why this happened. Wow. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's, that's pretty interesting that he pr- presented it this way. The reality of our lives is we live in a fallen world. Sin abounds. There is a real devil that steals, kills, and destroys. But aside from that, we're just in a world of decay and corruption. It does not look anything close to the way way God designed it. And people suffer bad things. He doesn't want it to be. It just is. What's the Lord saying here? He said, listen... Basically, none of you are safe unless repentance comes. And if none of us are safe unless, then that repentance must be the key to being spared in this life. Because that's what the example is. It's living out the full length of days in this life. So here's how it works. Why, do, why does bad stuff happen? It's, it's the climate we live in. It's, the, it's the, the world we live in. And no one is safe 
from these type of things happening. They're not being singled out by the Lord. It's not a matter of one person was a little bit worse than someone else. We're all in danger unless, I'm so thankful there's an unless. I'm so thankful there's hope in this situation. I'm not just being blown around by the wind and the waves of this evil world, that there is something that can be done on, on my part where I can miss, I can skip out on some of these tragedies. He said, unless one repents. Now, to repent is, is to think different, is to have a change of mind. Uh, we know what it means when you repented and received salvation. That's part of it right there. But even once someone, re someone receives salvation, their wrong approach to life and their thinking and their mentality and how they approach life can make all the difference in the world whether they're safe, protected, secure, or they fall prey to some bad stuff happening. Amen, amen. Verse 4, verse 4. Or those 18, so here's another story. Those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? And so they know about this case too. This tower fell. Say, why did the tower fall? Uh, gravity? Uh, decay? Poor workmanship? I don't know why it fell, but I know in this world, towers sometimes fall. They do. Who do they fall on? Who's ever there? The tower is not singling someone out. And Jesus didn't say, yeah, my father in heaven, you know, the one who loves you, he pushed the tower over. <laughs> you know, I'm Jesus, you know, I'm the savior and everything, but sometimes I push towers over right on your head. No, those things happen in this kind of world. What should I do? Well, I can stay in my house and never go around tall things. Someone said, hey, let's run downtown and go to this restaurant. No, 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 no. There are tall buildings there, and we have historical reference that tall buildings sometimes fall. And I am not getting around that. And there are people that live in fear of all kinds of bad stuff. I was in Japan a couple uh, years ago, just in the airport going through there, and there was a lot of people there running around, and they got these, like, surgical masks, masks on. And I think they're just you know, concerned about catching a bug or getting a virus or something, or something like that, that so that they'd, they'd wear those. I thought, oh, interesting. So people do all the, sometimes they live in fear of all bad kind of, all kinds of bad stuff happening. Some, some have the, they have their diet dialed so in to perfection, nothing ever unhealthy or non-organic or non-something will ever get in their mouth. Well, good for you. I don't care if you do that. Wonderful. Watch out for towers, though, because they fall on people with good diets, too. And people still get in car wrecks that have great diets. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to do what I can to protect me in whatever seems reasonable, but I need the protection of God. Or I'm vulnerable. I cannot guarantee anything. So what should I do? I want to find out how to not be under one of these towers. In other words, cars crash, murders happen, diseases spread. Will they come to my life? Is there anything I can do? And Jesus said in verse 5, same answer, I tell you no, but unless you repent, 
you will all likewise perish. So we're all subject and in trouble without God's help, without me turning to his ways, his ways of doing things, his ways of thinking and conducting myself in life, I could be under a tower. But again, if I will repent, that's the change of mind, which causes a change of living. I can, otherwise he wouldn't have said this, I can avoid falling towers. Yeah. I don't have to be there. I'm going to be somewhere else when the tower falls. You're going to be somewhere else when the tower falls. If we do this, is it automatic? No, no. But he does tell us how. Amen. Someone said, well, well, uh, what about those Bible verses? Doesn't the, doesn't the scripture say that all things work together for good? Do, do all things work together? Stop for a moment. Well, we'll look at that verse. But stop for a moment. Just take it out of Bible realm, out of church. Do all things work together for good in this world? No, they do not. No, no, no. I've certainly seen bad situations turn around for good, seen some good things come out of some tragic situations, but do I say all things work together for good? No. Some things, they start bad, they're bad in the middle, and they're bad at the end. It's miserable. It's just like, man, there's nothing to shout about here on the, on the positive side. Uh, no, not everything does. Uh, do, you know, do all divorces turn out good? No. Do all sicknesses turn out good? No. Well, God will use... Well, I, I'm not saying that uh, some situations, when handled properly, God can come in and intervene. That's not his design. But, you know, I know one family, the uh, woman, Christian family, woman got cancer and died. Went to heaven early. You know what happened to the husband? Well, he got closer to God, didn't he? He learned and grew through that experience. No, he backslid. Totally got away from God and has been ever since. For year, years later. That didn't work out for good. I just like to call things the way they are. Say, so what about that phrase? Let's go read it real quick. You got time? You got a minute? Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If you've had some bad things go on or if they're going on in your life right now, I would encourage you to invite the Lord to work in and through and help you and turn a situation around and, and, and make it better. But don't think it's just automatic. Romans 8 and verse 28 reads this way, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All right? So let, let's just analyze this real quick. All these things work together for good. S side note, how many know that's different than saying God caused everything or God allowed it? Didn't say that either. This was all in God's ultimate master plan. No, didn't say that. Didn't say any of that. Didn't say all things come from God. If we think all things come from God, then sin came from God. And then what about the devil? Remember him? All right, he's a jerk, but he's still around. Okay. All things work together for good to who? There are qualifiers here. All right. There are qualifiers. Here, here, here's, let me give you three qualifications. 
here for things working out for good and not bad. Two of them are real obvious. Number one, they love God. Do all people love God? No. So I'm not just going to say that then. Man, you've gone through a bad situation. I'm sorry to hear that, uh, but it's all going to work out for good. No, 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 no. I can't just jump to that end. I don't know that it is. I think there are things we can do to, to go that direction, but to automatically just pat someone on the back who's gone through a very difficult time, say it's all going to work out together for good. No, 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 no. That's trite and that's not true. It's not automatic. Can we help? Yes. But there are things we do. So those who love God. Well, who loves God? Someone might say, well, Christians love God. Hopefully. <laughs> Let me just present this thought. I won't go into detail. It's possible for someone to be a believer, to be saved, to be on their way to heaven, but their love from, for God is kind of, eh. Say, how do you know that? Would you really question someone's love for God? Well, just based on what Jesus said in John 14, 23, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my word. I've been around, you've been around. There are some Christians, they're, real, they're true believers, but they don't give a whole lot of weight to God's word. God says one thing and they do whatever they want. Are you, what are you saying? I'm saying they're in dangerous territory. They're crossing battle lines. They're standing under towers. So loving God in practicality really means when he says something, I read it in his word, he, he speaks to me. I take that very seriously. I say, I love you, so I'm doing whatever you say. I'm not living based on my will, my, no, his will, his plan. So it's a qualifier here. Things work together for those who love God. Secondly, he said those who are called according to his purpose. Another way to say that, we could say those who are saved. All right, so we're talking about believers, and we're talking about believers who love God, who do what, Jesus, do what the Lord says. But then three, let me give you the third one. Do you realize verse 28 is like, 28 for a reason, meaning there's a 27, there's a 26, there's a 25, there's a 24. And sometimes when you, when you quote something and you go to, and it, it starts, you start with 28, there might be a problem, possibly. Context, don't, you know, you, you want to let the Word of God influence your beliefs, interrupt your belief system. And so when you see that's verse 28, you might wonder what's in 27, 26, 25, 24, and without taking the time to teach all those verses, basically it goes like this. This is a result of Spirit-inspired prayer. Do all things work together, all things working for good all the time? Well, when you're talking about someone who's saved, someone who loves God and has prayed out God's plan by the Spirit, then yes. But do we just slap that on anything and everything and all circumstances and situations? No. No. Just like we don't say, everybody is defended by the Lord. No, only those who dwell in the secret place are defended. That's what that promise says. Everybody okay? And so, again, I read verses like this, and what it shows me is great potential for my life. I don't have to live subject to all bad things happening. I see hope where I can be defended by the Lord, sustained through life, protected from harm and calamity and danger. Has it happened with everyone? I, I don't, that's not my observation. And when I look at his promises, I'm more asking for, for myself and for those I can influence. How can we stay away from towers that are falling?
Amen. Amen. Anybody interested in not having a tower fall on your head? Amen. Praise God. You qualify for the rest of this series. We're, we're going to get into some more word, and our, what's happening, our faith level is going to go sky high in relationship to God as our defender, as our protector, as our helper, while we travel through the, the, the rest of our lives in this fallen world. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for working in us today.